1: a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? If I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame
0: on you. <laughs> it's Abe Lincoln's top hat, hosted by Ben Kissel.
1: Boom! Yeah. We can't get fooled again. <laughs>
0: Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I am your host, Ben Kissel, and this is the Dumpster Fire Chats. I want to thank everyone who shot some emails my way. Uh, I can only get to a couple of them this week, but they're all amazing, and I do read them. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. For the future, you can email me at benk721 at gmail.com. All right, the first email comes in from Josh Moss, and the subject is prison reform or prison Abolition, prison reform, or prison abolition. Josh writes, hey Ben, third email, maybe this one is the charm in terms of you reading it on air. No big deal if not. Uh, Well, my friend, third time was the charm indeed. I know you're big on prison reform, and I've heard you liken it to slavery. I deeply agree that our current prison system is a continuation of antebellum slavery. My question for you is this. If prison equals slavery, shouldn't they be abolished, not reformed? It sounds extreme, but if prison equals slavery, how can there be any other right thing to do? Here is the wiki about the prison uh, abolition movement to clear up any of the finer points. Maybe this is uh, extreme for your centrist point of view, but you would have been for abolishing slavery. So it seems like an easy opinion to have. To me. Uh, and of course, then he sent me a link to the prison uh, abolition movement. The prison abolition movement is a movement that seeks to reduce or eliminate prisons and the prison system and replace them with more humane and effective systems. It is distinct from prison reform, which is the attempt to improve conditions inside prisons. However, relying on prisons less could improve their conditions by reducing overcrowding. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for the email. And you are absolutely correct. It is a uh, subject near and dear to my heart. I uh, firmly believe, uh, you know, I would have uh, been behind bars uh, in many, many uh, ways uh, for many things when I was a kid. You know, we were we were terrible kids uh, running all around and 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 doing God knows what nothing violent. You know, we weren't a violent bunch, but uh, a lot of people in prison aren't violent either. Um, and I do believe it is. Uh, it is uh, modern-day slavery. If you look at Angola prison, no doubt that was an extension of the plantation. Angola is nothing but a plantation, and we go into that on a regular basis. Uh, you know, the United States, basically, uh, the whole prison situation began in in England, as as many things do, with your English workhouse and things like that. And then the United States has seen sort of three different waves, uh, three different major waves um, in regards to our prison system and in regards to, um, uh, you know, where we are today. Uh, the first one came in the Jacksonian era, which was kind of interesting. Of course, Andrew Jackson, the, um, the godfather, the grandfather, the creator of the Democratic Party. Uh, he was a slave owner. That's what uh, people in the world might call a problematic fave. Uh, but Jackson, uh, the Jacksonian era, it's also known as the second party system era because there was a long uh, dominant party. It was the Democratic-Republican Party. Uh, they became fractured in the uh, early to mid-1820s. Uh, Jackson supporters began to form what has become the modern Democratic party. Uh, now, his rivals were John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams, of course, who had a foreign-born wife, uh, and now we have a foreign born, um, uh, another foreign-born first lady in Melania. That is the second foreign-born first lady. It was John Quincy Adams' wife, and Melania Trump. So I'll tell you that is uh, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, they created John Quincy Adams created the National Republican Party, which later combined and joined forces with the Whig Party um, because they were both anti-Jackson. Uh, so that is so the first wave of prisons started in this kind of Jackson era, um, and then of course second. Wave. It began after the Civil War. We have Reconstruction. Reconstruction, of course, being, uh, you know, figuring out how to live, uh, you know, after the most devastating war uh, in American history, families fighting families, uh, how do you how do you be like, well, the the, the whistle blew, the war is over. Uh, now we're supposed to just unite. Uh, that was, of course, one part of Reconstruction, the political reconstruction of this nation. And then obviously figuring out what to do with the South. Uh, they were in shambles and uh, they needed government assistance uh, and, and a lot of things like that. Um, so that began after uh, the uh, the Civil War. The second uh, wave began after the Civil War and gained momentum during the Progressive Era. This is your uh, leaders of the Progressive Party, your Teddy Roosevelt's, uh, William Howard Taft, uh, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, they began to do things that were interesting when it comes to prisons. They were the ones who put in this notion of parole, uh, of probation, of uh, indeterminate sentencing. So you know they called the Progressive era, but uh, it certainly wasn't uh, progressive in in terms of civil and human rights. Uh, this notion of parole this this idea that uh, you have an extended uh, sentence, you know this this uh, ever looming cloud over your head. I mean, you look at recidivism rates, uh, the reason they are as high as they are and they are exceptionally high is because of parole. The basic impossible standards that a lot of parolees have to live up to. They're uh, not uh, full citizens. You know, they don't have uh, the the rights of full citizens, even after they serve 10, 15, 20, 30 years, uh, five years, whatever it might be. uh, I am so for uh, helping people uh, re-assimilate back into culture uh you know th- these people who work in uh, parole and probation and you know and uh, and correct me if i'm wrong if you do work in that field i'm sure there's some wonderful people who work in paroles uh, as parole officers uh, or as probation officers but there's no denying these individuals have the state's interest in mind uh not the people that they are watching over after they've been released from one of the more horrific situations anyone can be in a u.s federal prison so the progressive era is actually why we have parole and probation, which I think is, is fairly interesting. And then, of course, we have uh, what happened uh, since then, since 1973, the number of uh, imprisoned people in the United States has increased fivefold in any given year. Uh, roughly seven million people were under the supervision or control of correctional officers of correctional services. In the United States, I mean, seven million people. We talk about the 2.5 million people who are currently imprisoned, and uh, you know how that's that that number is just absolutely insane. All the work that they do for free. Now, granted, of course, when you're in prison, uh, those are rewards for people with good behavior because that's how hellacious uh, hellacious it is in there. If you get to work for free, at least you get out of your cell. You know, it's just absolutely awful. Uh, and, you know, it all comes from, you know, the English, the, the, you know, the people that came over here, the English that came over here, we had, uh, we had prisons pretty quickly. I mean, uh, Christopher Columbus came over uh, with, with, uh, with individuals who were imprisoned on his ship. Granted, he didn't find the country that he thought he found, but nonetheless, as folklore tells it, uh, he discovered uh, America. The English w- were great. Uh, and creative when it came to their uh, ways of imprisonment. They have this thing called the Bloody Code, uh, and this was basically introducing hard labor uh, going back to what I was talking about uh, regarding Angola's prison system uh, re- regarding what uh, inmates at Angola have to go through and of course the federal lawsuit that's happening now uh, amongst a private prison the majority of private prisons take in are illegal immigrants and they are waking up at five and they're not going back to sleep until 9 p.m 5 a.m. to 9 p.m that's basically their work shift um, sweating doing God knows what uh i mean and forced to do it otherwise they will be punished they i mean it, it is it is unbelievable uh so to your point josh i i i see where your movement is coming from, and I see uh the benefits of your movement uh when it comes to that of course of prison uh abolishment um in many in the eighteenth century english uh that's when they that's when the the English in the eighteenth century proposed solitary confinement. As a way to rehabilitate inmates. And they, this was solitary confinement was created for moral reasons. Uh, these were the two reasons, uh, the two primary purposes of solitary confinement t- was to isolate prison inmates from the moral contagion of other prisoners, a.k.a. friendship, I guess, to, and to jumpstart their spiritual recovery. So it is to isolate people inmates from the moral contagion of other prisoners and to jumpstart their spiritual recovery, aka drive people completely and utterly insane. And now we are seeing this movement actually find um, policy. Uh, there is there are some uh, politicians out there, specifically Bill de Blasio, and I say his name with respect in this regard, uh, because he has proposed, to close Rikers Island. It's a pretty big deal, the idea of closing Rikers Island. You know, we were in San Francisco recently, and we didn't have a chance um, to tour Alcatraz. Uh, And, of course, a lot of people say, oh, it had to be shut down. It was so horrible. From my understanding of Rikers Island, it's worse. And I think it's absolutely atrocious that we still have these laws. Uh, I'm against bail. I think that bail is obviously uh, predatory uh, for, uh, on the poor. It's, 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 it's an extra tax that you have to pay for your freedom. Wealthy people can pay it. Middle class people can pay it. Poor people, they might be able to pay it if they can scrounge around the funds. Many of them can't, and that's what we saw with this uh, situation with that young man who ended up hanging himself after nearly three years in Rikers Island under constant uh, abuse. Uh, this is uh, New York City Mayor de Blasio voiced support on Monday for a plan to shutter Rikers Island in the next decade, but objected to a recommendation aimed at replacing the facility with jails in the city's five boroughs. And this is the issue. If they do close uh, Rikers Island, where where do you put these people? Um, the five boroughs for uh, New York, uh, you know, Queens, Brooklyn, you know, the whole Manhattan, um... That's going to be tough for city councils to pass uh, because they're going to be looking at their constituents in the eye and saying, we're bringing prisoners here. A lot of these people wrongfully convicted, sure. A lot of them in there for petty petty crimes that they just can't pay bail on, yes. And then you also have some people who need to be in prison because they are dangerous to society and there's no denying that. Um, but, of course, the upside is now you have family members closer you don't have the, the, the distance and you have a much greater sense of community effort in in reforming these people's lives, because at the end of the day, they will be on your streets and they will be on their, their streets, your streets, as soon as they are out of lockup. And so we want to have an institution where when they are on the streets, when their foot does hit the sidewalk pavement. They're ready and able to behave like functioning members of society. And the sad thing is a lot of these people go in as mildly functioning members of society. Some have done things wrong, obviously. Others are there falsely. And they come out hardened criminals. They come out maniacs. They come out, you know, uh, like Bane from Batman or, uh, you know, some, uh, I'm going to say Bray Wyatt from the WWE. They're demonic because their minds have been so tortured. Um, much like Bray Wyatt tortured Randy Orton's mind at WrestleMania with the bugs. Anyway, uh... De Blasio speaking uh, at an unrelated news conference on Randall's Island said he believed the decade-long plan to close the scandal-ridden jail complex could be achieved with just a few locations that would be ter- determined through a public vetting process involving the city council and relying on, a com- on community input. A 148-page report released Sunday by the Independent Commission on New York City Criminal Justice and Incarceration Reform recommended an $11 billion plan to build jail, su- jail facilities In each borough, Uh, de Blasio said, I do not agree with the commission's report on that matter. They're suggesting five new facilities. I don't think that makes sense because it would involve the expansion of facilities in Brooklyn and Manhattan and, of course, in Queens. Uh, The commission also recommended new facilities in the Bronx and in Staten Island. Uh, Again, this is going to be extremely difficult for them to do. And to your point, Josh, does it just spread the problem? are we just dealing because yes okay we're close Rikers. i i have no problem with that i i think it's a uh, it is it's so tormented by the ghosts of of its past it it is beyond it needs to be a museum the exact same way that alcatraz is it needs to be a tourist destination you imagine that if you were in alcatraz 1920 you're like you know someday people are going to pay to come here how crazy that would sound to them This is a 27-member commission formed last year by City Council Speaker Melissa uh, Mark-Viverito and led by former New York Chief Justice Jonathan Lippmann. They've been arguing closing Rikers because the complex's mass incarceration model has done little to rehabilitate convicts and instead has fostered a culture of brutality and inhumane treatment of inmates, which is something that we absolutely know. The commission's year-long examination of the problem at Rikers laid the groundwork for De Blasio's announcement Friday that the city would seek to close the embattled correctional facility, currently home to seven thousand inmates. So, you know, this is begin—it's beginning uh, to have a little uh, mainstream we're getting some mainstream policies out there, or at least proposed policies. We'll see what de Blasio is going to be able to do with it. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be in office that much longer, quite frankly. He might be primaried. Uh, His poll numbers have always sort of hovered around the 40s. He never really uh, has gotten a lot of political traction because of his feud with Governor Cuomo, a little bit inside baseball. They don't like each other very much, and Governor Cuomo wants to expand the power of the governorship uh, in the state, as opposed to what happened with Michael Bloomberg, who basically, acted as a much more powerful figurehead than the governor of New York State. But, uh, you know, to your point, if I'm going to sit here and equate uh, prison with slavery, the idea of abolishing prisons, finding different ways to reform, rehabilitate, educate, and create better members of society... Then we have to be for abolishing prisons. Uh, of course, you know, we have to have mental health facilities. We must get those back in. Um, you know, that's kind of the craziest thing with, with Hinckley, the man who shot Ronald Reagan. And I say Reagan, I know. OK, I'm sure I'll be mocked by uh, somebody on Twitter. Uh, I mean, the fact that he did not go to prison is amazing. But also, wow, uh, the, the man shot a sitting U.S. president and they're like, yeah, dude, you're too bat crazy. To go to prison, we're going to send you to home, and now I believe he's, uh, you know, to a to a hospital facility, and now he will be getting out soon, um, which is absolutely fascinating. But I think that that's where we have to get back to. Uh, this current era, this current era since 1973, is absolutely horrible, and we're seeing the the fruits of the prison problem, the fruits of the prison uh, system. They are they are they are bearing out right now, and those fruits are rotten. And it's decaying the moral fiber of our nation. The old cliche: five percent of the world's population, twenty-five percent of the world's prison population. So, thank you so much uh, for your email, Josh. I really appreciate that. And um, I'm gonna st- we'll stay on it. You know, I mean, and this is big, especially here for what we're working on uh, when it comes to running. Uh, For our political office position, which we're going to hard launch on May 1st, which I'm very excited about Um, just to get a just to get a message out and hopefully bring everyone to the left on this issue, because let's be honest, the left has been right about prison reform for a very long time and we haven't had a lot of advocates for us. And I'm talking about the politicians that's proclaimed to be liberal, please. As soon as they see that money, they definitely have a different opinion on private prisons, public prisons as soon as they see that campaign cash well thank you so much josh josh moss all right the next email comes in from brian krauger thanks for writing in brian okay the email writes mr kissel i'm a big fan of last podcast on left and of course ableton's top hat i live in quincy illinois famous for being the destination of the famous lincoln douglas debates oh that was fun um those were fun debates remember that when the people had to actually, you kind of had to be smart and you had to debate somebody intellectually without uh, moderators stopping in or commercial breaks from uh, massive war corporations. <laughs> What a time. The old Lincoln-Douglas debates. All right, Uh, let's see here. Brian writes, I work at a local college, and one of our famous alums is Larry Thompson, former deputy attorney general under George W. Bush. I was able to interview him and ask him about the writing of the Patriot Act, which he helped frame. When I asked about the expansion of power, i.e. drones and surveillance, he reminded me that if you get blown up, then your Fourth Amendment rights do you no good. Do you think this is a fair assessment of what the Patriot Act has led to? Thank you, and I hope you get a chance to read this, Brian. Um, this is what's happening now, as far as our Fourth Amendment rights—they are—they're—they're uh, they're trashed. They are—they are—they're snooky on the Jersey Shore. They are in a New Jersey bar dancing on a tabletop with its shirt off. The Fourth Amendment is trashed. It is gone. It is, it is. I don't know if it's ever going to be able to come back. Although Snooky, to, to expand the analogy, did get sober and have a baby. So yeah, I guess anything uh, is possible. Uh, as I've always said, what happens uh, overseas uh, eventually comes home, uh, comes home to roost. And we're definitely seeing that now with drones. Uh, there's police departments now uh, because of the 1033 program. We talk about this ad nauseum, and I do apologize. I just feel like it needs to be closed. This program where we can give military equipment to local police precincts needs to stop and needs to end. That will also limit the uh, military spending budget, which is just astronomical. It's huge and only expanding under Donald Trump because he wants to get more of a tangible footprint, if you uh, if you will be, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, that's what he wants to do he wants he wants more tangible troops he wants more tangible military he wants he wants his toys for all intents and purposes we have plenty of toys for him to play with but like all rotten spoiled children he wants the new ones he wants the he wants the he wants the 2017 tank not the 2016 tank which is literally it the military boys and their toys that is literally it, and that's why these police precincts are getting brand new military equipment because they don't want the old toys. Because Bobby has the new toy, and if I don't get the new toy, then I'm not as cool as Bobby. Next thing you know, he's stealing your girl. Um, Drones—they've been used in the military. This is a uh, this is an article in North Dakota. They are the first state uh, where the police are they're allowed to fly them. Uh, drones have uh, long been used in the military for commercial purposes and for personal use, yet rules surrounded registration and laws remain vague. American law enforcement is now integrating unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, into the police force. In North Dakota, a recent bill allows for non-lethal drone use on police drones. For example, this and this is, this is the thing: non-lethal drone use. Oh, it's not just a camera on there. And what the hell is lethal? Is it chokehold lethal? Well, it certainly killed Eric Garner. This is non-lethal. This is what the, the in North Dakota. This is what they're going to be able to put on drones. I had to talk about this on Red Eye, and the idiots on that panel were like, "It's no big deal." Non-lethal. That includes this. So, a drone can be armed with. These are considered non-lethal. Tear gas, rubber bullets, which, by the way, you take the, one of those to the dome, and it'll tell you one thing that's extremely lethal, and pepper spray. Next thing you know, you're pepper spraying a series, uh, a whole crowd, one person's asthmatic. They're going to die. So these are lethal weapons. And I'm so sick of uh, of the uh, of, of police be like, no, you know what, we're really, it's, it's non-lethal drone weapons. Of course it's going to be lethal to somebody. Good Lord. Now, reactions have been mixed and concerns are surfacing. Tech Republic spoke to Michael D. Rayton. He's the chief police for the West Fargo Police Department about how he sees the use of drones impacting law enforcement. I was born in Fargo. And by the way, there's more cows than people. There's 600,000 total people. Uh, In no way does that police force need a drone task force. No. What has happened in North Dakota? Are you kidding me? And don't and you know for a fact uh, that'll be going down to South Dakota very soon. Uh, and I know for, I already know they used it. Uh, they used they were using drones against the protesters of the Keystone Pipeline. Oh my goodness. So North Dakota is the first state to legally allow drone use in the police. And now how did this come about to be allowed to do this is incorrect. The statute actually is restrictive. Prior to this there were no restrictions on how law enforcement could use unmanned aerial systems in North Dakota other than rules set by the FAA. What what Representative Becker in Bismarck wanted to do was a was highly restrict how law enforcement used drones in public. I don't buy it for a second. It essentially eliminated the possibility of law enforcement using a drone, except when we had a warrant to use them. Paper stamp warrant, by the way. What do you do? You call a judge. Oh, you happen to know the judge. Hey, judge, we have a warrant for this person's arrest. Judge says, why? You say, why? Judge says, oh, okay, whatever. Who does not matter to me? That's it. I mean, these—it it is so easy to get a, a warrant from a judge because these warrants and the prosecutor and the police, they're friends. If I ask Marcus Parks to, to give me permission to do something, odds are, regardless of how ridiculous it was, he'd be like, Nah, whatever. Go do whatever you want to do. And of course, what I mean is enter a competitive eating contest. And I am talking about ice cream, my friends. Ooh, if you could empty the soft serve ice cream of a Ponderosa. Ooh, my goodness. Don't even get me going on that. So it essentially eliminated the possibility of law enforcement using a drone, except when they had a warrant to use them. That's certainly more restrictive than any form of technology that's available to law enforcement, including helicopters, pole-mounted cameras, the officers' personal observations. Even so, the intent of the law introduced by Representative Becker was to restrict law enforcement practices. I don't believe it one bit. What the North Dakota Dakota Police Association's aerial law enforcement officers and even some House and Senate representatives did was ask for amendments that were more reasonable than what, was, than what was an accepted use of unmanned aerial systems. North Dakota, it's going to end up looking like Pakistan. So the rules are, there are guidelines of the FAA and other court uh, cases that restrict how law enforcement conducts surveillance or the plain view conditions. If something is deemed in plain view, we're in legal position to observe whatever it is taking place. Through the course of these negotiations, one of the things that Representative Becker had indicated was drones were not being armed in any fashion. They are being armed. Good God and then when they say plain view uh in Milwaukee Wisconsin where i was at there was a, there was a case where cops were using infrared uh cameras to uh monitor a weed grow house. and they claimed that that be, because they had the technology to look into the home basically to understand wh- how many lights were going off uh the fact that you know the place was 24/7 lit up it was in the basement of the house the cops you know or in, in the uh in a uh, in a garage area of the house, the cops could p- pretty well deduce uh, it wasn't somebody with a s- insomnia. You know, they were pretty. It was pretty easy to figure out as a weed house. They argued that was plain view because they could see it. It's if a drone is hovering outside your window uh, while you're while you're doing something that uh, is is currently illegal, such as smoking a joint, is that plain view? They will argue that it is. So I mean. Uh, This is really, this is really the beginning, uh, you know, or not even the beginning, the extension of what we've been seeing with, I mean, the, the surveillance state that we're living in. And the fact that these drones, the fact that these North Dakota cops are going to have full access to arm them with rubber bullets, pepper spray. I mean, it is unreal that this is allowed to happen. And of course, they're going to say, "Oh, it's uh, it, it, it's so we can look at fatalities and accidents. It's so we can, uh, you know, it, it do things um, where we can find, you know, we can look at landscapes and stuff like that easier. Forest fires and whatnot. Sure. And I'm sure the drone would be helpful for that as well. But you know, for a fact, that's not the only thing they're going to be using drones for. The drone was created by a dude who wanted to sell them. I, I it was for farmers. I think it was for cranberry farmers. It was something like, it was like totally innocent. The U.S. military approached him was like, here's a bunch of cash, and what do you think about putting missiles on them? And the dude's like, we can do that. And boom, next thing you know, we have that as the massive war machine, the extension specifically of the Obama administration. I mean, nothing good. All technology that was created for something simplistic, something good, something that would benefit society inevitably gets corrupted by individuals with violent hearts. And there is no denying the North Dakota Police Department all across the state, again, that has more freaking cows than people, is going to be using this stuff for nefarious means. I mean, if if they're not, I don't know how many traffic accidents need to have a drone with pepper spray hanging overhead. I, I maybe, I guess, an immense case of road rage, or maybe to wake somebody up if they're unconscious behind the wheel. Maybe that would work. Um, so to your point, uh, thank thank you so much for writing in, Brian. Um, yeah, you know these people who wrote the Patriot Act. Uh, they have rationalized it. The Larry Thompsons of the world have rationalized it in their minds so they don't um, because they if he should go to sleep every single night knowing that he gutted the Bill of Rights, that he just took the Fourth Amendment and and used it as uh, you know, used it as tissue paper because it is destroyed. It is like it is somebody with a pollen allergy, uh, allergy walking through a field. And wiping the, their nose with the Fourth Amendment, it's all gone. So that's a great point, point. Um, and, and thank you so much for for writing in. Uh, if you get blown up, uh, then your Fourth Amendment rights do you no know good. That was the. Uh, do you think this is a fair assessment of what the Patriot Act has led to? And um, yeah, I, uh, I I I uh, I mean, I, I don't fully understand the quote. To be quite frank with you, if you get blown up, then your Fourth Amendment rights do you no know good. I. The Fourth Amendment rights are supposed to do you good because they're not supposed to let you get blown up uh, with an armed drone. But and, you know, the protests uh, that are going to be happening here uh, all all summer long in New York, specifically against Donald Trump and so many of his atrocious policies, um, they are uh, they're going to be heavily monitored by drones. They're already monitored by helicopters and things like that. But they're going to be heavily monitored by drones that are going to be a lot more invasive and a lot more. Um, equipped with weapons and, and those sorts of things in a matter of no time. If they don't happen uh, this summer, it'll be next summer. There's no denying the NYPD is going to be starting to to do things like that um, under the guise of public safety and also, um, which it always is. It's always under the guise of public safety. And I don't, uh, it's it's really unbelievable. And you mentioned Lincoln, Lincoln-Douglas debates. You wonder what Lincoln or Douglas would think about all this right now, huh? Um so it's interesting times and I'm going to have a chance to um talk possibly with David Schuster about it tomorrow uh, or this uh coming up this week which will be very exciting. Um all right well thank you so much for writing in Brian Kroger. All right uh, let's do one more. This one comes in from Grismond Sheathwhistle. Grismond Sheathwhistle which I really really hope is a real name because Grismond is my favorite name of all time and if I ever have a child I'm going to name him Grismond. Grisdman Kissel. Sounds like a strange guy to get food from, though. Um, all right. This one is, the subject is, two uh, two-party system. The email raised, Ben, love the show. Just listened to the episode that Marcus missed because he was knee-deep in Hubbard's cupboard. Yes, indeed he was. Uh, that was four weeks. Uh, Marcus Parks' brain will never get back. And thank you so much for all the support uh, in our L. Ron Hubbard four-part series of last podcast on the left. Anyway, you mentioned that you hoped that a third party would emerge, and I too hope for this. I feel that people would be happier if they at least felt like their officials had their back. With multiple parties, you would still have the type of coalition caucus making that occurs within the parties, fiscal conservatives aligning with social conservatives, but at least the voter wouldn't feel betrayed like they do in the two parties we currently have. Unfortunately, this is what brings me to my email. I don't think multiple parties is realistic in any sense because of the First, because of the first past the poll winner-take-all system employed in almost all districts, I'm reminded of game theory in college psych class, where it was shown that if a if a competition was one was one winner and everyone else a loser, that is a binary: one hundred percent victory or a one hundred percent defeat. Then it is unreasonable to be a third-party candidate. You would only facilitate or your own demise. That is why the Dems and Republicans constantly remind us about throwing our votes away. Basically, until we make the electoral college and congressional districts larger and allow proportional representation, two-party will be the name of the game. This leads to a question. Weren't uh, there a couple of states that had referendum changes uh, changing their electoral college votes to a proportional system? I seem to remember this uh, and the pundits talking about what a terrible idea this was. It was a terrible idea for the entrenched two parties since they are in control. I don't have any faith that the system will ever be changed. Do you see the possibility of proportional representation? Personally, I'd rather have proportional representation than term limits. Term limits might work itself out for proportional representation was in the cards. Love the show. Sorry for the length of the rant. Grismond. Well, thank you so much, Grismond. You know, I did a little research on that, and I couldn't find any states that actually passed uh, proportional representation as opposed to the Electoral College. Uh, Now, of course, uh, this always comes up in elections where the person who wins the election doesn't win the popular vote. Uh, Donald Trump being the fifth U.S. president uh, in history to win the popular vote. Rutherford B. Hayes, Benjamin Harrison, uh, George W. Bush... And John Quincy Adams, and of course, again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, John Quincy Adams also had the only other foreign-born uh, wife and first lady. Um, the thing is, I am conflicted on uh, the Electoral College because I understand the point of it. We can't have tyranny of the states with the most amount of people in them because theoretically then uh, you would have institutions and, and 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 instances of of complete and utter um you know um uh, lack of, a, a stripping away of rights of the minority and we have to keep in mind uh that we live in a nation where minority rights are a real thing and something that's needed to be taken into consideration and needed to be taken seriously uh it's it goes back to basically the 12th amendment it was in 1876 uh, there had been more than two hundred serious proposals to abolish or reform the Electoral College. So this this conversation, like I said, is nothing new. 1876, um, individuals were talking about getting rid of or reforming the Electoral College. Um, it was the 12th Amendment that was uh, that was then created, and that it has uh, that is why we have the current system that we have. When our country was founded, there was a lot of concern about New York and Virginia dominating. If you were from Rhode Island, this was a real concern. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier regarding smaller states versus larger states. And, you know, we do have, uh, you know, New York uh, and Virginia, especially back in that time. They were huge and they are still uh, powerhouses, obviously, in, in the national on the national scene. Um, of course, uh, New York being the home of Donald Trump and Virginia being the home of a vice presidential candidate for Hillary Clinton. Um Mr. Tim Kaine. So these are still very large political, uh, you know, sources of political power, and of course Hillary Clinton also being a senator out of New York. Um, so we put the number in uh, so we so they put in a number of checks and balances to prevent big states from overwhelming small states remember it's the united states of america it's a federalist system it it's what makes us unique and in order to prevent some states from overwhelming other states they set up the mechanisms such as the electoral college the fact that all states get two representatives in the us senate regardless of their population and so forth so that goes that is your 12th amendment um, so I understand the desire for a for a popular vote um, to be the way to go. The question then is, wh- what happens uh, with with how people campaign? Uh, do you do you just completely negate uh, the flyover countries as they're so called? My personal favorite states: uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Iowa, Nebraska. Uh, You know, the Dakotas, uh, although there's nothing in the Dakotas except for drones now, I guess, in North Dakota. Um, But, you know, Kansas, those really those those states that uh, are often forgotten about um, because they are, you know, manufacturing jobs. They are they are people that uh, might not necessarily uh, be close enough to, uh, you know, television entities, such as what we have here in New York City uh, with all the television news here, even Atlanta having CNN, the West. Coast, uh, you know, specifically Los Angeles being the, the hotbed for uh, for entertainment globally. Uh, you know, these Midwestern states and southern states, uh, you know, Montana, they don't have a lot of people in them, and they don't get a lot of, uh, you know, understanding for the people that reside in those states. Their cultures aren't the cultures that permeate across the nation. And, of course, the Midwestern culture isn't necessarily the export culture that we send over um, by our hollywood videos and things like that so we do have to be very careful uh that it, you know if we went to a popular vote do you just negate Montana altogether? Do you just negate, you know, the Dakotas altogether, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan altogether? Certainly Hillary Clinton found a hard lesson out uh, when it comes to their campaign strategy, which was, in a strange way, a popular vote campaign strategy. Uh, I think they knew full well it was still an electoral college, uh, you know, country. So I'm not quite sure what exactly happened with that. But we'll have to ask uh, Robbie Mook, who he's on television now um, and uh, I'm not exactly sure why anyone's taking his advice on anything any longer, because they lost the worst candidate in the history of the United States. Uh, of course, that candidate being Donald Trump. So that is really the, uh, the the issue when it comes to abolishing the Electoral College and just going with the popular vote. Do we run a risk uh, uh, of people only campaigning in Florida, New York, Texas, California? Pretty much it. You get 60, 70 percent of those states, you're good to go in, an, in a uh, popular vote situation in this country, especially now as we live in a in a nation where uh, everyone is sort of getting more coastal. Everyone is going uh, to the edges. The, 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 the middle of the country has sort of sh- shrunk down in size in a lot of ways. There's sort of a sprawl to the west or the east or the even the south um, coast in a lot of ways. So and then, of course, we also have the the, the, the massive issue uh, that you got on with uh, involving term limits. And I would also say, you know, gerrymandering, redistricting, uh, which basically guarantees, uh, you know, these the reason I want term limits is because of gerrymandering and redistricting. Because when someone is elected in a gerrymandered and redistricted district, they're basically guaranteed for life, barring a massive sex scandal or what we saw with like David Bratt beating Eric Cantor, which was an anomaly and. And uh, extremely rare and that's why it made such big news so because of that we already have such a destabilized democracy and those people uh, who live in parts of the country again that might not have the largest populations in my opinion are already are already struggling for proper representation so it really could lead down a path where they get no representation on a federal level whatsoever and is that is that fair and and that's what this all comes down to is is inevitably it it comes down to fairness. Now, of course, you could make the argument: Is it fair that we have a president in office who got three million less votes than someone who is sitting at home right now, uh, and you, who would you could argue would be a far far superior president? Not really. But at the same time, it was fair in that they were both fighting on the same field. You know, one wasn't fighting, one wasn't trying to play basketball on a football field and football on a basketball field. They were both playing on the exact same field, politicking all across the United States of America. But So I understand both sides on that. And um, it's just, we have to be, at this point, I am still currently siding with the Electoral College as the methodology for Are for our republic when it comes to voting on a national level. Uh, But uh, the reforms that I would like to see happen, gerrymandering and redistricting, we need to grid it, make it a grid system based upon population and land. Don't take into account religious affiliation, race, anything like that. It just has to be a true sample of that place uh, that is uh, being represented uh, by a congresswoman, congressman, Because that's the only way we're actually going to get people at town halls with differing opinions. Right now, we're just living. Everyone has their own echo chamber, and it's what's destabilizing the entire thing. When it comes to the third-party idea, I understand what you're saying completely. Uh, Inevitably, especially with the game theory that you're referencing, the binary uh, 100% victory versus 100% defeat, inevitably— uh, they will form coalitions. and They will form uh, partnerships. And at the end of the day, it will come down to two people or two entities, uh, you know, but, uh, heading, uh, but heading, <laughs> but heading, budding heads. That's what it is. Boom. I'm telling you. I've been in this closet for an hour. I think I'm starting to go crazy. Um, but and you look at even like Rand Paul, for example, this supposed libertarian. Holy hell! Talk about a letdown. He was the one who allowed the Obama regulation that restricted ISPs, independent uh, service providers, internet service providers rather, from taking your equipment, taking your information and selling it. He's a libertarian. He's supposed to stand up for individual freedom. But in his mind, the fact that the government was telling a business what to do was not libertarian. So, you know, that's why I'm much more pragmatic uh, than that. Even even when you have somebody in there who identifies as a different party in some ways, obviously he runs as a republican um, you still have these people siding with their massive brands um and and completely screwing over the American people and screwing over our privacy between the drones, every camera on every block, and now. Internet service providers being able to sell our information to the highest bidder with not even giving us a kickback. I would like to see some funds coming back in my coffers, please. Again, the theme of this episode is the Fourth Amendment is absolutely out of here. It is, it has been hit by Barry Bonds when he was fully juiced. It's going, 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 and it's completely gone. Uh, it's quite unfortunate. Um I, I at the same time though I, I do believe the 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 duopoly of power is um is real. Uh I believe that they have um completely uh discredited third party candidates uh, be, uh and they use that oh you're going to throw away your vote to discredit third party candidates and from that I would say look no further than Bernie Sanders. Longest independent in the in in Congress. Uh longest independent senator. And obviously, he did have to come in uh, in under the Democratic tent. Um, But there is no denying he was an outsider within that party. And you could make the same case for Donald Trump. And uh, it's just so unfortunate it took this country. It took Donald Trump to hold a mirror up to this country so we could all see uh, what's happened uh, to the uh, degrading morality of the people all around. And when I say morality, I'm not talking about religious right morality. I'm talking about like just overall compassion, love, empathy, and a respect for intelligence. I love – I always say I want to be the dumbest person in every room. And, you know, believe it or not, that's not that difficult to do. Um, But I always want to – you always want to be uh, respectful of uh, – and, and try to um, – you know get uh the the most amount of intelligence possible it's not bad it's a good thing you know and now we live in a country where it seems to be shunned and looked down upon oh, That's it's ridiculous um so i would like to see the rise of a third party and i do understand i understand they oftentimes have to get co-co-opted uh by one of the two national parties in order to make their uh campaign relevant but uh, you know don't even get me going on the on the whole third party thing because our nation has a lot of work to do, and I think they could really – I think we could go for some independent voices, which is why uh, I'm running, of course, this year for Brooklyn Borough President. We're going to make a hard announcement on May 1st, and it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I have to say I'm going to be on I-24 TV, and it's going to be hosted by David Schuster. I'm starting to do more than just Fox News. It's very fun. I have—I got a little relationship going um, with a great uh, company, and um, – so I'm going to hopefully hit up MSNBC and CNN and, and, hell, I'll go to One American News. I don't care. Uh, we just have to get our message of freedom across. And, uh, and of course, the prison uh, industrial complex, crim- criminal justice reform, legalization of drugs, uh, you know, it, it all ties together. That's going to be on the forefront of my mind. And the fun thing is, uh, by, uh, by every other standard, um, I, I, get to, I get to be a liberal on these shows, which is nice. Uh, that's very nice without the, I think what happened with the Fox news, Fox news is such a big brand, you know, and I think a lot of people see the brand and then they sort of, um, you know, they put, uh, they, they kind of put the brand over who you are. And and so that kind of happens. And of course I have a lot of respect for, uh, for, for, uh, or I have a lot of appreciation for, for what they have done and, and how they've been able to help me out so much and everything. And, uh, and I will always go on and, and speak my mind. I'll go anywhere. Um, anyway. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap up this uh this week's dumpster fire chat i'm going to try to do them more uh we haven't been able to we haven't traveled these two weeks here so it's been i've had a little bit more time so i'm going to keep on uh doing my best um to get some dumpster fire chats out there to you uh hopefully every other week or once a week we'll just do our best to do it um thank you guys so much for listening I, i can't tell you enough uh how much i love you and uh you know all the live shows uh, it's just incredible to see everybody, and uh, and everyone is uh, you know so sweet and, and and wonderful. And and go out there and, and buy an Abe Lincoln a- uh, top hat T-shirt if you want to. Uh, also, there's a Ben Kissel for President, which is kind of a fun shirt. Uh, my big ugly face is on it, which is uh, which is always interesting. And uh, we're going to do some big things. And if you're thinking about running for political office, uh, please do um, because this is what this country needs right now. We need young minds out there. Oh hell, I don't even care if you're old. It doesn't matter. It, just get out there and run for public office, uh, please. Just just do that. And I understand it's difficult, as we had with uh, with previous Dumpster Fire chats with people who feel insecure. Uh, Mark Sanford is a current congressman. This was a governor who left his state of South Carolina for two weeks to go have an affair, I believe, in Argentina. So, you know, you can do it. Um, and it's going to take a few tries. You know, I'm not pretending like, you know, this is going to be some grand slam easy walk in the park regarding this Brooklyn Borough presidency thing. But we're just going to go out there and give it a shot. We're going to learn from it. And it's all going to work out. You know, I mean, hell, we're so dang busy anyway. Um, This is just about doing it. You know, this is about uh, this is about getting out there and and, and hopefully we can inspire other people to do it. And you all inspire me to do it, uh, to do this uh, at the live shows with all your kind words and stuff like that. And uh, so thank you so much. And uh, all right, I'm going to do I'm just going to throw in a hail yourselves. Why not? Because I just feel like I feel like hailing you. Hail yourself. Uh, and thanks for listening and uh, find me on Twitter at Ben Kiss. I'll find Marcus Parks on, on Twitter at Marcus Parks. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.
1: For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com.
0: Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And
1: years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful?